Welcome, Black Equity listeners. You have tuned in to another great episode of Black Equity. And it's time that we have a a much-needed conversation because I've noticed um, a lot of people are always talking about business strategy. They're talking about business tactics. And what I've found is many of those conversations aren't rooted in any type of principles. And so principles to me are foundational, they're timeless, and they're going to allow you to weather the storm uh, when the storm does come. And so I wanted to have this conversation with someone who actually understands business principles, who actually uh, has gone through some things themselves and can come out on the other side and share with you how those business principles have stood the test of time. And so on this episode, we're going to be speaking with Craig Chavez Jr. And we are about to dive into a truly epic conversation uh, around uh, business strategy, around business principles, and also uh, just a, a, a post check on what's currently going on uh, in our business culture. And so I'm definitely excited uh, for you to hear this conversation. Uh, also, if you are a uh, organization or business, a uh, small business to mid-sized business, and you are operating on the highest levels of your business, but you're looking to uh, connect with other strategic partnerships, because that's how you're going to grow. You're going to grow your business through strategic partnerships. What we've created is a client portal Uh, for you to be able to access Black Equity Network with your different questions that you may have um, so we can connect you to the right organizations. So we are asking that all organizations that are listening to this episode to click the notes in the show notes where it's talking about uh, entering your company for our client portal. It will also be on our Instagram, Black Equity Network, You want to be a part of the client portal because when opportunities come, we want to be able uh, to contact you quickly and not have to go through a whole bunch of emails back and forth to find you. You want your company um, part of this client portal today. Uh, We are really excited about the different companies that we've worked with and continue to work with to see this uh, Black equity become a reality. That's the fun part about this. Black equity is becoming more and more of a reality um, as we build out our network and as we build towards solutions for our community. So head over to the show notes and Instagram and join the client portal today. Now, let's get into this episode. Uh, Let's dive in and really get into uh, these business principles I'm DJ Motri of Black Equity Network, and welcome to the Black Equity Podcast.
right, we are back for another great episode of Black Equity Podcast. And I am excited about this conversation. Let me tell you why. I think, and I, I, I could be wrong, I think this is our first business coach that has appeared on Black Equity. Um, uh, uh, Craig, uh, please introduce yourself. Welcome to Black Equity. Let us know who you are. Hey, DJ. Thank you so much for having me on uh, your distinguished podcast today. So uh, my name's Craig Chavis Jr. Uh, I'm an author and serial entrepreneur transition into business coaching. Um, and my whole mission is really helping people to, to become the entrepreneurs of their lives. And what I realized early on is that like your life is a business and you really can't separate business and personal. And so even though like my technical uh, title is a business coach it's really more about developing a life or a lifestyle that you don't have to run from that's what i'm all about today okay this is about to get real good okay (laughs) um because you you said something so now i gotta jump on it you said uh you can't separate business from personal Mm -hmm. now i i i want to go to your background and how you got into the space but you said that so that's jumping out at me Mm -hmm. um what is there's this notion out there that uh, business is warfare and there's no mm-hmm. friends in business. And I didn't know that we would have this conversation so early in the <laughs> conversation, but you mentioned it. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? How, how do you feel about that statement that is floating around the ecosystem? I think that's false. Um, okay. There's definitely friends in business and you need friends in business because guess what? None of us are self-made. Um, there's such a toxicity in the entrepreneur sphere right now. And that's one of the main reasons why I had to write my book behind us. I mean, especially being black entrepreneurs, we can't approach business like the dominant society does. And we can't go about this Game of Thrones warfare, uh, you know, just kind of scorched earth business mentality. It's like we need all the help we can get. But to kind of go back to your question of how I believe business and is and personal cannot be separated is because you know just as I do it's like when you create something you put your entire essence into that creation and whether it's your mind body spirit emotions blood sweat tears you name it you put all of that into your creation therefore when you do that you develop some type of attachment to it so oftentimes just like when you're dating somebody your significant other is a reflection of you well, in business, your business is a reflection of who you are. And you cannot separate the two as much as you, you, you try to. But um, in answering your second question, in this journey, it's so difficult to get from point A to point B. I tell people going from zero to one is a lot harder than going from two to 100. Like getting that first big win is so difficult. You need all the help you can get. And so you need to develop friends, you need to develop allies, you need to develop mentors sponsors you can't do this by yourself so in business yeah it's difficult yeah you're fighting other people but you're really fighting yourself you're fighting the person you see in the mirror that's who the war is against it's not against other people i love that um it always scares me when i hear entrepreneurs especially uh within our community they'll say that you know there's no friends in business can't trust anyone um and I know that, that that tweet or that social media post may be coming right after somebody burnt them. So I get there may be some context 
to it, but it, it, it concerns me because then the frequency of that is, well, can I trust you? Mm-hmm. Can, can I, <laughs> I mean, if you're saying there's no friends in business, then it's just a little weird to then try to then be your friend in, in, in business. Um, so how did you get into this space where uh, you're able to work with those who are entering into business or those who have been around uh, for a long time with their business? How did you get into this space? Man, it's been a hell of a journey. And that's just kind of like one of the other foundational principles behind my philosophy is that life's a journey. Um, it's not about the destination. It's about the process. Because um, you wouldn't expect, uh, you know, uh, a black man from you know, inner city Cincinnati would get out and live in across the world, you know, open up a distillery on the beach in Latin America, would serve in the Peace Corps, would speak three languages, you know, would have multiple businesses. It's like, I'm not supposed to be here. So my journey started in, in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, that's where I'm originally from. Um, and, you know, I'm the product of a, of a two-member two, uh, household, which I'm saying I was blessed to have. But my parents, they worked a lot, you know, growing, and I never really got to understand, like, what they were doing because my, my dad was in corporate America, my mom was a nurse. And so I had to become self-sufficient at an early age. And because we didn't have a lot of money, I often, you know, had different side hustles. You know, whether it was selling playing cards, doing newspapers, cutting grass, shoveling snow, I always had a knack for figuring out how to get a dollar. Um, but due to my father's work, we moved around the state a lot. I went to multiple high schools. But athletics is what, you know, kept me grounded. Um, I was a really good defensive back, top 10 in, in the state coming out. Um, had some issues with my coach. But I got a, a you know, a Division One football scholarship that took me to Sanford University in Birmingham, Alabama. So that's one thing I knew getting uh, growing up quickly is that I didn't want to stay in Ohio. Like I had to get out. I had to go out and explore the world. And I think that came from my uh, upbringing of constantly moving and uprooting myself. So um, I completely identified with athletics. I thought I was going pro. I was a really good kick returner. Uh, I got the opportunity to start uh, my sophomore season. And that first game, I tore my hamstring and ended my playing career. And I just went into a spiral of depression and was really close to dropping out. But um, as I was mentioning earlier, none of us are self-made. And so my Spanish professor intervened in my life and basically locked me in her room one day and was like, Craig, I don't like where you're going. You're too smart. You're too intelligent just to give up on life. And she's like, football is just temporary. Um, You're really good at Spanish. How about you study abroad? And I was like, I don't really care about studying abroad. I just want to get out of Alabama. I just want to get out of my mind. But she forced me to apply for a scholarship to go to Costa Rica. And I did reluctantly. And I got the opportunity to go to Costa Rica for three months. And it completely changed the way I perceive myself, the world, um, life, um, just living with another family, speaking another language, being fully immersed in another culture. Uh, I became, you know, open-minded to the possibilities of maybe living and working abroad. Um, and I didn't know, like, how pivotal that moment would be. But um, loved it so much. Uh, got back to campus, started DJing, uh, you know, became entrepreneurial again, and used those proceeds to go to Spain for six months uh, to study abroad a second time. And that really locked it in for me. Um, I wound up majoring in entrepreneurship, double minoring in Spanish and international business, uh, went to Florida, got my MBA, um, but, and I, as, I was, as I was finishing that up, uh, I was interviewing in New York and San Francisco, 
and something about the corporate culture and the glass ceiling I saw uh, didn't, didn't, didn't fit me that well. I mean, I, I didn't see anybody who looked like me working in these uh, companies. I saw people getting capped at a very low level. And I was like, okay, this isn't for me. But life has a crazy way of working out. I ran into a Peace Corps recruiter. She's like, you're fluent in Spanish, you're entrepreneurial, you're creative. Why don't you try this out? I mean, they'll pay you for two years to live and work in another country. So I did it. And I got the opportunity to do economic development consulting in uh, Peru. And it was just mind boggling because like before I even got there, I had the idea of starting a business in another country. I just didn't know with whom, how, or where I was going to do it. But um, as I got my boots on the ground in, in Peru, I just saw the economic possibilities flourish. Um, I did a lot of import exporting with a lot of small businesses, got a lot of farmers fair trade certified. But what I really enjoyed the most was teaching youth entrepreneurship. And through teaching at various universities, I, I, I taught at a um, agro institute where they were distilling Pisco, which is basically a great brandy. It's the national spirit of Peru. And I found a knack for it. And um, I started distilling at, at my house. I, know I, had, I lived on a little farm. And my first clientele were a lot of my farmers that I was consulting with. And when they told me that I had a really good product, um, I just stuck with it. And I kept refining it over the two years I was with the, in the Peace Corps. And after I got done, you know, I, you know, I didn't want to quit on my dream. And that's why I wrote the book, Burdens of a Dream, because every dream has a cost. And uh, I immigrated back to Peru and opened up one of the country's first craft distilleries on a beach. And I had it for a little over a year. We got four products to market in less than nine months. But through a bad contract, I unfortunately lost the business. Um, and to wrap all this up, you know, after I lost my distillery, I got into blockchain. I had a travel application. I was living in D.C. for a little bit. Um, I had a couple other side hustles going on. But eventually I realized that I'd accumulated a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience. And I kept seeing the same patterns over and over again with people that I was mentoring and running across, you know, within the entrepreneur so, uh, sphere. And so basically, you know, after I got this publishing deal to share my story, I realized, you know, I could uh, add value and help people to accomplish their dreams of becoming an entrepreneur by helping them to avoid the mistakes that I made. And that's how I got here, man. Like it, it's been a crazy whirlwind, but throughout all those different ventures, whether it was DJing, it was my t-shirt company, my distillery, my blockchain app, the same thing was me. And so right. it's been an evolution of self over the years. And that's how I got to this point today. I love it. I love it. I, I don't know where to begin. So let me, <laughs> let me see where, where to go with this. Yeah. When you touch down in Costa Rica, mm -hmm. what was that experience like? Just not, not necessarily even going anywhere yet, but just hitting Costa Rica, being at the airport, I'm assuming, and just being there. Was there a culture shock in Costa Rica? And the same with Peru as well. Same question. So in Costa Rica, a complete culture shock. I mean, literally, the, the first person I saw when I got off the plane in Costa Rica was a guy who looked like, like Jackie Chan, but like Antonio Banderas. I'm like, you got this little <laughs> martial arts looking guy speaking fluent Spanish. I'm like, none of this is making any sense. Right. I, I was scared, man, because I was completely outside of my element. Um, I got thrown into a house with a host family and they were older. They were in their 80s. 
spoke no English. This is when I was getting my Spanish up to a conversational level. And I, I was struggling, man. And I, and I, I tried to quit again. Like I, I told my professor, I was like, get me out of here. And they're like, you know, it's normal. Like, you know, this is where, you know, the rubber hits the road. And they're like, you know, just give yourself a couple of weeks to adjust. And I'm so glad I didn't leave because I, I fell in love with that place. I mean, still to this day, my favorite place in the world is this town on the Caribbean coast called Puerto Viejo. And just imagine Jamaica and Costa Rica like mixed together. Mm. Um, I just think that's life in general. Like when we put ourselves into a different environment, it's the fear, it's the fight or flight you know, or freeze that attacks most people. But instead of reacting emotionally, I've learned to respond logically and take my time to make decisions that are going to benefit me instead of, you know, reacting irrationally. Um, and for Peru, I was much more seasoned then. So after, before I got to Peru, I had lived in uh, Costa Rica. I had traveled around the Caribbean. I did Spain. I traveled around Europe. So I was actually anticipating Peru a lot when I got there. Okay. It's like with any other country. I mean, each country is its own unique uh, beast, as you would say. And Peru is probably the most culturally and geographically diverse country in the, in the world. I mean, it's just crazy how you can go from the mountains to the jungle to the coast and feel like you're in a different planet. But um, all those different exp experiences, you know, help to develop me into the man I am today. I want to go towards the conversation of these patterns that you notice with entrepreneurs. But before we do that, you mentioned something, and if I, if I didn't talk on it, I would re regret it. Uh, you talked about a bad contract where you lost the business. Now, you can go into as much detail as you like. What did that experience teach you uh, dealing with contracts and dealing with um, dealing in business? Uh, what did it teach you? And then we'll, we'll go to some of the other questions I have. Well, th that was a specific chapter in my book where I talk about the devil is in the details. I think that's chapter 27 of my book, Burdens of a Dream. And so for me, there was a whole cacophony of, of factors that led to the closing of my business. But one of the biggest issues was that I was burning myself out because um, I was doing everything. Like nothing functioned in my distillery if I didn't touch it. And mm. I had to control everything. I was micromanaging my employees. I was oblivious to the fact that I was working with people that didn't have my best interests in mind. Um, you know, working in a, in, a, in a developing country, it's a complete other animal um, because there the corruption's in your face at the ground level. Whereas here in the United States, corruption's at a higher level. So you don't get to see it as, as much. But essentially the, the, the problem was the people who claimed to own the property I was leasing didn't own it. It was, a, it was another family member that did. Mm. Um, basically, I outgrew the space. My product was selling so fast that I outgrew the space that I was in, and I wanted to lease another portion of the building. But when I did that, they basically exposed themselves with the fraud that they committed, and they introduced a new contract that was twice as expensive and half as long. And there's no way I could have uh, endured that. But... You know, as shocking and as painful as that was, it was a blessing in disguise because less than three weeks after I liquidated all my assets, uh, Peru underwent the worst flooding they have had in 50 years. 
And so the highway got washed out to my community that I was living in. There was no power for four months and prices went up, you know, probably about 5X for a lot of the things that I was buying. Wow. So I would have lost the business one way or another, but luckily the way I went out was on my own accord and I didn't get trapped in uh, a bad place. So, um, you know, and that's just the way I look at failure because I look at failure as like a first attempt in learning. That's right. what it means. Like, it, like it's, it's nothing negative. Like when you're doing something for the first time, there's no way you're going to know what you're going to experience. So like you're going to make mistakes, but it's not a problem unless you continually and habitually do the same things over and over expecting different results. Like that's the definition of insanity. But for me to open up one of the first distilleries, uh, that's a craft distillery in a country mm -hmm. American had ever done that before. Like I was really trailblazing. So even though I lost that business, I had to pat myself on the back because I was doing something that nobody else like me did before. And I'm thankful that I went through that experience because it taught me what not to do. Like I lost some short paper then, but now knowing what I know about contracts, that's going to prevent me from losing some long money as I grow and get better with business. And I look forward to talking about that long money in one moment here. <laughs> um, but one more thing from your, your opening um, introduction you talked about economic development in Peru. What is economic development to you? What does that mean? And what are you teaching or advising on when, when we're talking about economic development? Man, I love that question because economic development is, what, is not what most people think it is. Like really what modern economic development is neocolonialism at its finest. Like instead of, to me, economic development is teaching people how to fish. Modern economic development is selling people fish and keeping them dependent upon it. And that was one of the most striking things that I witnessed in, in, in Latin America. It's like, there's no such thing as aid. Like whenever anybody's talking about getting and receiving aid, it comes at a cost. And when yeah. anybody's talking about economic development, it comes at a cost. But what I was doing was I was teaching people to become self-sufficient. Like, this is how you create a business plan. This is how you open up a business. This is how you keep track of your finances. This is how you not get in debt to the banks. This is how you develop your, your, your clientele. And so I was basically, I mean, it was a lot more stressful than what it needed to be, but when you're really investing and breathing into people and teaching them to become self-sufficient, it's really hard. But it would blow your mind that, you know, five years later, I'm still getting calls from a lot of the people I was working with, like, hey, my business is still in operation. Or, you know, that little startup that I, that I launched, it's still profitable. And most of the people that I work with now are self-sufficient and are, you know, the entrepreneurs of their lives. And so as I was doing that, as I was really developing the, the individuals I was working with in my community, I realized that I had a, I had a gift for, for doing that. And it didn't feel like work to me. It's like, I'm getting paid to help people out. And uh, to me, that's what real development is. You're helping people to become self-sufficient and, and instead of helping them to become dependent on you. And we just see this worldwide, you know, the US or the West developing other countries and they're really not developing them. They're really just keeping them dependent on the status quo. And that's not economic development to me. 
So where does that philosophy come from? Because if you uh, grew up in uh, North America, United States, and we, we do have international listeners, so I was trying to help them understand uh, yeah. the concept here. So you grew up in the uh, United States where economic development is, hey, we're going to make other people dependent on us so we can <laughs> eat forever. Right. So how did you, although you grew up in the United States, how did you go international and teach the exact opposite of teaching people how they can fish for themselves? Where did that come from in your estimation? I think it's because like, you know, growing up black in America, you realize that you don't get the full benefit of the quote unquote American privilege or American experience. I mean, blacks in the US are underclass. And with and knowing that you have to fight a lot harder for what you need. And so for me, it's like, okay, even though I'm American, even though I'm privileged, I'm from the West, you know, I, I can't complain about my upbringing, but that was one of the things I had to teach people all across the world that I ran into. I'm like, you know, being black in America is damn hard. And, you know, and the funny thing is racism was everywhere. I mean, I had problems with uh, police in Peru, problems with police in Costa Rica, I had issues in Spain, you know, there, there, there's problems everywhere. But for me, it's like growing up without a lot of things, I understood it like there's a right way to do things and there's a wrong way to do things. And for me, I just think in my core spirit, like I just have to do things the right way. And if I know that like I'm getting over on somebody and they're losing and I'm fully, get, and I'm fully winning, that's not good. Like it has to be a win-win. And so that's just like the way I sleep good at night, knowing that like, hey, I'm getting paid for something, but I'm also helping the people that I work with, you know, win as well. And so for me, it's like, that's what economic development is. It's like, it's a win-win. It's not lopsided. Um, and that's just the way I got to that philosophy. Awesome. So it leads me now to something I mentioned earlier in the episode that I wanted to know more about. It's this idea of spotting patterns. Yeah. And taking those 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 patterns that you're noticing uh, in the entrepreneurship space and being able to teach and build up these businesses for for uh, newcomers and maybe people who are trying to revamp and rebrand. Right. What are some of these patterns that you're noticing? And then maybe from those, I can uh, speak to some of those as well. So I would say that's a, that's a good question because some of the patterns that you see a lot are some of the most, how would I say this? Obvious, obvious issues. So when it, when it comes to entrepreneurship, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that, okay, people follow your passions, you know, is, you know, find that whatever you love and then just go out and, and do that. And for me, it's like, I found that a lot of entrepreneurs just starting out were following their emotions instead of figuring out how to create value for people. Because um, at the end of the day, like if you don't have demand for what you do, then you're not gonna ever create a business. Like at the end of the day, it's not about you. Nobody cares about what you do. It's how you're gonna help them solve a problem. And so when I saw the pattern of people thinking all about themselves instead of thinking about their clientele or whatever the problem they're gonna solve, that was something that I, you know, checked off the list. Another big issue is that people also think is that you have to 
hustle until you die. You know, you have to work 50,000 hours a week, break your back. Um, you know, it's the hustle porn culture. And it's funny that the people talking about that are some of the people that work the least. And it's like, you can't work smarter until you work harder. And like, I understand in, in the beginning, like, yeah, it's gonna be difficult, but at the end of the day, you have to start putting in some systems and processes that start working for you. You have to learn how to work in your business and work on it. Like those are two separate, different separate things. And so a lot of those stories and myths that were told uh, by this mainstream entrepreneurial society aren't gonna work for you. Um, and another thing too, is that, you know, you, you need a lot of money to start. Like you need uh, to get a big check from a VC to begin. And I see a lot of people chasing after VC money or doing the shark tank type of stuff. And it's like, you don't need that. Start small, think big. And over time, like you don't want to invest a lot of money in the beginning. You want to make sure that you can get some traction and you're creating something that people are really going to pay for and then you scale. But I, I think overall, just to sum this up, I think there's a lot of things that new entrepreneurs run into that of course they're oblivious to because they don't have experience. But that's the importance of always working with somebody who is at where you, where you want to be. I mean, that's why I, I love having mentors. I mean, I live by this principle of ones, twos, and threes. So ones are as I always have mentors. Like I'm, I'm a, always going to be a student. Like there's always going to be people who I look up to that are teaching me what they know. So then the next is twos. So it's what we're doing now. It's two peers chopping it up. Like we're warriors. We're constantly sharpening our swords, getting better, and you know, growing ourselves as, as business persons. And then threes is that I have mentees. So I'm constantly teaching people what I know. So I'm constantly a student, I'm constantly a teacher, and I'm constantly a warrior. And by doing that, I'm expediting my growth at an exponential level. And that has allowed me to gain certain knowledge that is allowing me to, you know, thrive in this coaching and, and consulting arena. But um, pattern recognition is, is key in anything in life. And once you start to understand patterns whether it's in business, you know, in, in romance, you know, in sports, whatever arena you're in, that's when you're going to be able to level up because a lot of this stuff is cyclical. This is why I study history. I'm an avid, voracious reader. What we're going through right now with COVID is nothing new. It was predictable. It's not a black swan. It was more of a gray rhino. But it, knowing the patterns, I'm, I'm knowing how to position myself to thrive, even though it may be you know, hurting a lot of people. So that's a long-winded way of answering your question, but I, I hope people get value from that. I'm sure they will. Uh, I, I, I may want to correct you on something. You said right. that, that I, I'm your peer and I appreciate that. Yeah. But today I'm a mentee. Yeah. Because I'm really, I'm taking this episode as an opportunity to learn from you now when the episode's over, we can go back to being a mentee, um, <laughs> but I'm really taking, I'm taking notes. And so I appreciate, you know, the information that you're putting out. Uh, you talked about uh, the hustle until you die culture. Mm -hmm. So if you don't mind, I want to, I, I want to dive into that. Mm -hmm. This hustle word is really bothering me, Craig. Yes. The, the, I, I'm, I'm getting to the point where 
I'm noticing people want to be hustlers and not business people. They want to be hustlers and not investors. Mm-hmm. When you hear the word hustler, and you, you can disagree with me, but when you hear the word hustler, what goes into your mind? What do you immediately think? If, if I'm a new business owner and I come to you and I say, look, I'm a hustler, I'll do whatever it takes. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear that? Brainwashed, mm. followed by run <laughs> is, is <laughs> the next thing. Because it's, it's just, it's toxic, man. Like it is, uh, and, and I'm like you, I may have to go like, you know, a little on a tangent here, but like it's, 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 crip, it's crippling our community in, in particular. Because mm-hmm. when you think about the whole hustle porn, like I think about like a, a Gary Vee or Elon Musk or this these Silicon Valley, you know, super entrepreneurs and that's their world. But we can't do that because we don't get the opportunity to fail. Like failure is a privilege. Mm. We may get one shot, one shot to, to make it. And so you have to work a lot smarter. You have to be very tactical. You have to be very strategic. Because guess what? There's a 99% chance we're not going to get a million dollar check for coming up with some crappy idea that we wrote on a napkin. And we're not going to get two years of runway to keep failing and hustling and making all these mistakes just to throw something against the wall and, and see if it sticks. Like hustling is, is not the way to go. I mean, like I said before, like when you're beginning, yes, yeah, it's a lot harder. I mean, getting that first win, getting that traction is difficult. But if you're strategic and you're intentional and you're purposeful, you can avoid a lot of the crap so you can get to point B a lot more efficiently and a lot more effectively. Because like as much as I love working, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm creating, like you said, a business. I'm creating a system. I'm creating something that works for me. Mm-hmm. The, one of the biggest issues with my distillery is that I was a slave to what I created. My distillery owned me, man. And it, and it, and it, and it drove me into a, the sunken place. Like I was so oblivious. I was so stressed out, man. Like I wasn't myself. I, wasn't, I, I lost a lot of weight. And I was hustling, like I was working legit 18, 20 hour days, but that's not the way to go. Like I'd much rather work one hour a day, just tweaking something that is working for me versus, you know, working 18 hour days, hustling and getting nothing out of it. But um, hustle is a very, very dangerous word. And it's a trap because you'll you'll hustle yourself into a pulp and Mm. you'll, you'll hate the thing that you created when it should be the opposite. So that's how I feel about hustling. So if hustle, if we're both agreeing, this hustler word is a little off of frequency. What's the right frequency in in our view? What's the right word? What is, if somebody is listening to this episode and they're like, okay, well, maybe they're right. Maybe hustling isn't what I want to do. What is it that they should be uh, aiming towards if it's not hustling? Strategy. Okay. Strategy to me, in my opinion, is, is the most important element of this entrepreneurial game. Um, and, and it kind of comes from, like, I, I believe the most important trait of an entrepreneur is resourcefulness. But resourcefulness is such, like, a, a, a crazy word because it um, contains so many different elements. Like, you have to be smart. You have to be strategic. You have to be patient. You have to anticipate. Like, it, like it has a lot of different you know, variables that, that make up that word. But it, when you're strategic, you move different. It's like, okay, 
I'm not going to be doing what everybody else is doing. If everybody's going right, then maybe I need to go left. No, mm-hmm. everybody's going up, maybe I need to go down. And so it's just, you just, it's thinking on another level. And whenever you have a strategy, you're going to be able to counter your failures and bounce back quicker. Um, because like I always allude, you know, we've heard this analogy before. It's like entrepreneurship is, is like chess. Mm-hmm. Chess is all strategy. It's all like the, the game is won mentally. It's not, it's not necessarily done in action. Like in war, the battle is won, you know, with the plan in advance. And that's all strategy. So if I have the right strategy going into business, I'm going to position myself to have less of a downfall because there's no 100% foolproof, foolproof way to do anything. But if I hedge myself in the correct way, I can increase my chances of success. And that's what strategy is. It's just risk mitigation. And if you do that correctly, you'll, you'll be a lot more successful. Many people don't know, but you just dropped a lot of gems. And I think it's going to go over a lot of people's heads. I'll be <laughs> honest with you. Because you just basically gave, in, in a short way, you gave a blueprint of how to play this game. And I need everybody to kind of rewind just for a second and listen to like the last two or three minutes. Listen to the whole episode again. But listen <laughs> to the last two or three minutes because what you said about hedging, kind of putting yourself in a, in a way where you're going to win on either side mm-hmm. is to me so brilliant. Now, right now, we're, we're kind of talking in theory. So we don't have right. like a, we're not saying a, a specific thing, but I know what you mean and you know right. what you mean. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I think that's so powerful is because I had to learn to do that. Yeah. So now, you know, full disclosure, now I'm back to being a peer again. I was a mentee for a second. Now I'm back <laughs> to being a peer. So I noticed in the space that a lot of people were going right and they were going this way. They were, they were going for uh, the, the most listeners possible. They were trying to have the biggest guests possible and they were try- basically leveraging social media uh, for relevancy. And I said, well, that don't, that don't add up to me. And so what I did was I decided to hedge mm-hmm. and I said, what makes sense for our business isn't trying to leverage social media for relevancy. It's to leverage relevancy for social media. Yes. So when, if, if I stay on topics that are relevant and that are to me groundbreaking, like this episode, social media is going to have to come to us eventually. Eventually frequency is going to find truth instead of trying to use social media to uh, facade it all and bring people to you. And then when they find out who you are, they're like, I don't know, this isn't what you advertise. Mm-hmm. If you stay in truth, yeah, it may take longer, but there's, there's less, by the time they find you, they're like, wow, you put out 300 something episodes and it's all yeah. relevant. Yeah. It's, it's, it's everything that we've asked for. Yeah. Damn it. and so i say that to say what you said is brilliant not just because it's it's something that i've also adopted 
But as I was listening to you saying it, I said, they're not going to know off bat that what he just said could eventually change their life if they adopt it and use it. Um, So thank you for saying that. Tell me more about your book. You you talked about um, some of the chapters in your book. Because I have a feeling that as people are listening to this episode, they're going to want to grab your book, start reading it. What's inside your book and how does it feel? Is this your first your first book as an author? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I've, I've always been a, a writer, but I, I never intentionally focused like my thoughts and captured my ideas in such an intentional and purposeful way. Yeah. Uh, and so the book is called Burdens of a Dream. 33 Actionable Nuggets of Wisdom for the Creative Entrepreneur. And just from the title and the cover, I mean, everything is like intentional and and purposeful. Yeah. Because as I I, I mentioned to you earlier, everything has a cost to it. Um, And that's why there's a burden of a dream. I mean, you just can't just, this isn't just all hunky-dory, you know, follow your purpose, passion, you're going to live life and everything's going to be beautiful. Like, that's another myth, just like with hustle, that is very, very deceiving. Like, there's a cost to this stuff. I mean, it's just, it's simple principles, like as above, so below. If you want to live a life that most people don't live, you're going to have to pay a cost that most people aren't willing to pay. But it's worth it if you can endure. So that's that's where the title comes in. And then the subtitle, 33 Actionable Nuggets of Wisdom, I wanted to really hone in. I wanted to focus on principles and not techniques because people get deceived by techniques. Principles will never lead you astray. And the way I could break this down is like nutrition. Like nutrition is a fundamental principle. Like the amount of calories you eat and the quality of the calories that you eat are going to determine your weight. So it's quality and quantity of calories. What confuses people is diet. Like somebody could be vegan, somebody could be vegetarian, somebody could be, you know, Atkins, high protein, whatever. But those diets may or may not work for you because they're techniques. But if you understand the fundamental, the fundamental principles of nutrition, you will always be healthy. And so for me, what I wrote about is fundamental business and life principles that are going to help you to become the person you were meant to become. And that's what, I, what, that's what I believe entrepreneurship is. It's not about becoming an entrepreneur of things. It's about becoming the entrepreneur of your life. And so for me, I, I, broke, a, I broke that down in the introduction because the word entrepreneur, it's very convoluted. It confuses people. It scares people. And so for me, I had to redefine it. And so I redefined a creative entrepreneur as anybody who takes a calculated risk to create something out of nothing and share it with the world. And by creating that new definition, I was able to simplify it and let people know that like, you are the entrepreneur of your life. There's nothing more important than the life that you create and that you live. But unfortunately, most people are dead. They're the living dead, man. We live in a society where people don't know themselves. They don't know who they are. They don't know whose they are. They're waking up every day doing something that they hate. They give the best of themselves to a job that they hate. I mean, seven out of 10 people hate what they do and yet they're still doing it. And to me, that's a problem. And so for me, it doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur like us, doesn't matter if you're a teacher, 
doesn't matter if you're in the club, whatever. As long as you're doing that with purpose and intention and you're living a positive impact, it's all good. And so the book, you know, it goes through my journey that I just told you about. Mm -hmm. I wanted to use my, my story as a real life case study as somebody who came from nothing to be more relatable. I didn't just want to show people about entrepreneurship. I wanted to tell them. And so by writing something that was very relatable, it's in super easy to read layman's terms. It's a very, very quick read. Each chapter is one page, but it delivers you a, a, a dose of power that's going to inspire you to take that calculated risk, to abandon the status quo, follow the road not taken, and discover the person you are truly meant to become. And that's what this book is dedicated to, is for anybody who's arrived at a personal or professional crossroads in their life. And this book's gonna, it's gonna supercharge you and it's gonna be something that you can always go back to no matter what day, what time of the year, whatever you're feeling, because it's, it's grounded in principles and fundamentals that are gonna help you to become a better entrepreneur of your life. I love it, I love it so much. I'm definitely gonna uh, get your book. Um, I gotta know what your 33 principles are. They're sitting right there, so I gotta I gotta pick that up. Now you mentioned um, the Living Dead, mm-hmm. so you you be saying some deep stuff, and then I gotta come back. But hold on, now. <laughs> so because one of the questions that comes up a lot is, hey, what's the first thing that I should do in business? That's one of the questions people ask me, and I'm like, become self aware. Yes. <laughs> like I know like I'd be, I be listening to these other podcasts and they just telling you about how to make fortunes and fame and I'm like whoa <laughs> if that's not even you yeah it don't matter what pathway that was no they could have made all the money in the world but, it, but what are you what is you what is your strength what are you great at what are you currently um you know, doing and the skill sets that you had in your your past that will allow you to then kind of carve your own path. So being self-aware and then knowing the things that are around you that you could utilize in order to be at your at your best. You know, there's things that are already here, whether it be a smartphone or whether it be your library or whether it be whatever it is. Maybe it's your personal network. So before you go running out trying to find all these different pathways, mm-hmm. who are you? When did that click for you, that self-awareness, um, it, what was going to be key to keep you from being that, that walking, you know, the, the living dead people? Man, I, I love that so much. And that feeds into one of like one of my core quotes and core beliefs is like, if you don't know where to begin, look within. And it, it blows people's heads out the water. Because what you said is so powerful. And I'm so glad you said that. Like, people don't know thyself. Like they have no clue who they are. And so that goes back to my beginning of my story. It's like me having football taken away from me was the best thing that could have ever happened because I had a false idea of who I really was. And once that got stripped from me, I had to really rebuild and find out who, who is Craig? Like, mm. like who is this young man I see in the mirror? And I didn't know. And then it, it took me being thrown into a completely different environment where I had nothing and I had to become an alchemist. I had to create something out of nothing. But it's funny when you're stripped away of all those false ideas, you're left with your pure self. 
It's mm. like through a crucible, like going through a fire. It's like we're all gold. But it's funny, like the most valuable gold, 24 karat gold, it's the softest, it's the most malleable. But you only get 24 karat when you put that shit in the furnace. Right. And furnace, guess what? It's hot. And it's painful. And it's gonna burn some stuff away. And you're gonna be like, you're gonna be uncomfortable. But when they extract it out, you're left with the most core and most viable, most beautiful essence that is you. Um, and then Peace Corps was the same way. Like I tell people, the Peace Corps, like imagine having a mirror taped in front of you 24-7-365 that you can't run away from. Mm. And like I was forced to live with all my pluses and minuses and I couldn't escape from it because you have so much time and you're so isolated. And like the highs were really, really high and the lows were really, really low. And some days I was like, man, this is the greatest thing in the world. And other days I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? Pardon my French. Oh, you're fine. Because of because I subjected myself to the rigors of life, I was able to go through that quote unquote furnace a lot quicker and a lot earlier. And I was able to really question and find who Craig really is. Mm. I knew that. I started doubling down. And because I always thought I was an entrepreneur, I always thought I was a creative, I always thought I was a business person. But it wasn't until I declared that and put action behind belief and action behind words that I really became the person that I was meant to become. And uh, most people don't do that, man, because we're just, we're told a story and we follow it, you know, mm -hmm. go to school, get an education, get a job, get married, work a ton, maybe retire and then die. Right. I was just like, I, I just refuse that narrative. And even, trying to get into that world, I was rejected. Like corporate America rejected me. I didn't get any job offers. Like I came out in a MBA, you know, 3.8 GPA, MBA, clean record. Like you would think that this system would embrace me, but it rejected me from day one. So I kind of had no choice but to figure it out on my own. And I'm so glad I did because I would have been miserable if I didn't go down this path. Now there's a, there's a couple things that have been mentioned throughout this conversation that I have to find out about. Mm -hmm. If you didn't have the injury, what NFL team would you have wanted to play for? <laughs> Gotta know. Man, I'm a, I'm a Cincinnati kid. I mean, the, the, the bungles are, are terrible, but I, I would have loved to have come back to the hometown and uh, okay. kicks. Well, okay. Now you mentioned three languages. I believe one is English. I think the second one is Spanish. Did I miss a third one? What's that third language? Fala Portuguese também. So uh, I speak Portuguese as well. Okay. I'm okay. sorry to talk about that. So this is new for me. So Portuguese and Spanish are two different, two different worlds. Yeah, man. It's, and, and what the interesting thing is, is I, I mean, I got stories for days. So when I was studying in, in Spain, um, before I got there, like my last name is uh, Chavez. Uh, Chavis, and it's actually a Portuguese last name. Mm -hmm. I was studying in Salamanca. I actually got to go to the town in Portugal that where my last name comes from. Wow. Uh, very diverse. It's like Afro-Portuguese. You look at the, um, you know, kind of the lineage. Right. My father's side. And so Portuguese is actually old Spanish. Okay. So more Portuguese speakers can understand Spanish than vice versa. Right. So I could speak Spanish to a Portuguese speaker. They'd get, let's say, 70% of it. 
But if I spoke Portuguese to a Spanish speaker, they might get 30% of it. Wow. It's really, it's really interesting, you know, understanding languages and seeing where they come from, but it's all patterns. Like if I understand a certain way to structure sounds, that's all language is. And you really start to master right. languages when you start dreaming in another language. Like that's when I knew Spanish clicked is when I had my first Spanish dream. And that's because your brain is subconsciously thinking in another language. And from that point on, you'll never be able to forget certain elements of that language. I am scared to ask what was in that dream. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm sure it was dope. I'm sure it was a dope dope dream. Mm -hmm. Um, What sectors do you focus on? Or which ones do you prefer, uh, you know, as as listeners are listening Mm -hmm. in? Are there certain sectors that you would like to work with as far as coaching up or um, uh, doing strategic partnerships uh, across the globe? What sectors interest you? So for me personally, I love the international aspect. Mm -hmm. I'm on a consulting project with a good friend. We have a business in Ghana that we're developing. Nice. Honestly, I'm agnostic because it's not about the business. It's about the person. Right. Because as we started off with, like the business is a reflection of the individual. Right. that's the way I, I start my coaching and consulting is it's all mindset. It's all mindset. That's why like the first thing I tell people to get before they work with me is my book because the book was written to boost people's mindsets to prepare for entrepreneurship. Then I also have an online like entrepreneur Academy that teaches you the fundamentals of building a business that works for you. And then after people go through the book and the online Academy, and I do the one-on-one coaching because it's, 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 a double, it's a double funnel. It has to be a win-win. So I need people to invest in themselves, but then I also need people to understand like this is the methodology and the principles that I'm teaching from. And once people digest that, then I know they're, they're ready to move forward. But I'm, I'm industry agnostic because it's about the individual I'm working with, not the business. Before we go and um, before we let everybody know where they can find you or they can find your book, find your academy and be within your frequency, we have a little bit of time. Did you have any questions for us or for our platform or for me or anything that has come up? Definitely. So like the first thing that stood out to me was the title, Black Equity. And so uh, for me, I'm very, very intentional with like how I name my businesses like my my company right now is called creative craig because like i'm creative right sell it is different than the norm but i know a lot of people take a lot of time developing the names of things that they create so how did black equity come up and like what does it mean to you for me it's creating a, a more equitable uh society and i believe the best way to create an equitable society is through the black perspective because of to me, if black entrepreneurs, black investors uh, do not have a fair shot in this game, then there's no way it could be equitable. And so to me, it's kind of a a mixture of both. Uh, And I believe that we create the equitable society by connecting black entrepreneurs with black investors, Mm -hmm. uh, but also just uh, connecting black entrepreneurs with investors in general uh, and bringing in those capital. Now I will say that not all money is good money. And so one of the things I love to do is just filter out, well, who is this investor? 
that's trying to come in and invest in these black owned businesses. And so uh, I also see us as a safe place, a safe haven uh, for black entrepreneurs to, you know, do their thing, build their businesses, uh, connect with the right people. But then when uh, these sharks come in uh, to say, Hey, talk to DJ, he'll, he'll uh, sit down with you. I believe, and this is, this is no shot. Uh, you've already done, done this. If you can't sit down with me for one hour, how am I supposed to work with you for the next 25 to 30 years? And so you and I have sat down and we've talked, so I'll, this is not, that wasn't that you, but uh, that's just kind of my philosophy that, that I live by. And that's a great, uh, great question. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, and I love what you said, like not all money is good money. Yeah. And that is something very, very powerful to learn. And, and I use that principle too, when I was raising money for my distillery, that's why I went the crowdfunding route. Mm-hmm understood and like a that was the best way for me to raise money for an international business and not lose equity in what i created yeah it just not, doesn't make sense to me that like i'm the one that's putting in all the work but somebody writes a check that's not even their own money and now they can direct and own what i created and they're not even giving me anything like a lot of these vcs they're not really giving you any help or direction they're just taking over and they may sit on your board yeah. and direct a lot of the decisions. And like you said, like that, that whole world, like that whole Shark Tank stuff, is not what people think. And it's all about strategy. And so what can I do? How can I get money? Or how can I get access to resources that are not going to infringe on my ownership of what I created? And so, I, I mean, I, I really commend you for doing that because uh, a lot of people don't mention that to the people that they work with. And I'm looking to get into that, that space because I've heard that narrative before. I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to have to be a part of it so then I can revolutionize it. Because there has to be a way uh, to be a VC without being predatory. There has to be a way. I don't know what that way is yet. I'm working on that and studying it. Um, but there, I, I believe that you can invest in a company without depleting the equity uh, that goes along with it. There has to be a way around it. And so I'm working, uh, working on that. So that, like I said, we can create that safe haven mm-hmm. for entrepreneurs who do need the funding or do need the grants or do need uh, the necessary resources. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, great, great point. How can people, uh, this is a, this has been a great conversation. Hopefully <laughs> you'll come back. Yeah, uh, definitely. In the future. How can people reach out to you, Craig, and uh, check out your book, check out your academy, and connect with you? So people can find me at my website. That is www.cre8ivecraig.com. So Creative Craig is cre8ivecraig.com. And on my handle, like I own that brand. So you can follow me mostly on Instagram and Facebook at Creative Craig. And from there, you can find out about my book, Burdens of a Dream, and about my masterclass and online academy, Simply Scalable, 12 Steps for Building a Business That Works for You. And then also feel free to reach out for me uh, to me via email. And so that's craig at creativecraig.com. I might have to jump on this master, this master class and, and yeah. this mastermind group. I might have to jump in this academy because I, I can tell there's a lot I can learn from you. Uh, I have no problem having a peer that I'm also a mentee to. And then sometimes I may have to be a mentor for, for someone oh, for as sure. well. I've had to be three things 
for the exact same person sitting in front of me yeah. at times. And so uh, sometimes that could be interchangeable. Uh, but thank you again so much for coming on Black Equity. This is just a, a first conversation of many. And I look forward uh, to staying connected and possibly working on some international uh, possibilities. Because when you said international, I'm like, okay, we might be able to do something. Uh, so oh, thank you definitely. again for coming by. Definitely, DJ. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I really hope that this chat really inspires your, your, uh, your audience and add values to them and adds value to them. And uh, I really enjoyed it, man. I look forward to collaborating in the future as well. Definitely. Thank you. I told you it was going to be a really great episode. If this is someone that you want to partner with, connect with, and you want the proper introduction, you need to sign up for our client portal right now. That's how we're going to be connecting everyone is if you are signed up through our client portal. So look at the notes in the, in the show notes and find the link to sign up to our client portal. Or you can go to Instagram at Black Equity Network and sign up for the client portal. I'm not sure what else <laughs> you need to hear in order to get your organization in the flow. Uh, this has been a really great episode. We thank our guests today for coming on and sharing with us these valuable principles. And uh, we look forward to continuing uh, this conversation in the future. Thank you all for listening. Uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram, Black Equity Network. Make sure you subscribe to our Patreon for early access to content like this and to receive personal introductions to our network. This is exciting times. And for those who have taken advantage of all the different things that we offer, you're going to see them flourish. If you have not taken uh, advantage of the opportunities, you're just sitting on the sidelines and we can no longer operate that way. Let's get you in the game. Thank you for listening. And we'll be talking to you again soon.